Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Episode 101. When we're developing leaders, how do we become better leaders ourselves and, and hold ourselves accountable to that? This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, and today we're joined by Dr. Patrick Ivey, the Associate Athletic Director of Student Athlete Health and Performance at the University of Louisville. Pat, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Excited to catch up with you today. And uh, I want to give you a chance just to go back to the beginning for us. Tell your story in the field of strength and conditioning uh, all the way up to where you're at today. Well, I guess I'll probably have to start eighth grade, ninth grade, just starting to lift and trying to figure some things out with the concrete weights in the basement. Um, just knew that that was something I, you know, I wanted to be a part of. For me, it was part of growing up and protecting myself and uh, getting stronger mentally, physically. As I played high school football, um, I needed to be a lineman. So basically an offensive lineman, a skinny offensive lineman, but still uh, I knew I needed weights and, and to be able to lift. And so training in the weight room was something that I needed to do. I was infatuated with lifting weights uh, all throughout high school. Um, there were times I would lift in the morning at school and lift at night and day after day. And um, spend an hour and a half on the school bus to catch, uh, you know, the public transportation to downtown Detroit, Michigan, um, you know, provided some opportunity to get homework done on the bus so I could lift in the morning and lift at night. So it was, it was pretty good. It was a good, uh, good life. And I had a chance to play college football, University of Missouri, and strength and conditioning was a big part of training as I needed to get stronger, uh, put on more weight. And I had some really good strength and conditioning coaches. Dave Tobe was the head strength and conditioning coach who is currently the head special teams coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Donnie Summer, who is the head strength and conditioning coach at TCU and Bob Jones is the head strength and conditioning coach at William Woods currently. So those three were my strength and conditioning coaches, uh, outstanding men, poured a lot into us as, as young athletes showed us more about life than anyone else, any other coaches I ever had uh, and how to be handy with our hands. We would be over at their houses doing part-time jobs, hanging sheetrock and uh, working on decks, whatever, whatever they needed done. I learned a lot from them. So eventually I had a chance to play professional football. I, Spent some time with the San Diego Chargers, the Lions, the Broncos, the Packers, and took strength and conditioning very seriously. I always kept Columbia, Missouri as my home base. So I came back and trained in the offseason where I would volunteer and didn't know at the time I was volunteering or interning. I just needed to be around the weight room. And next thing you know, you might find yourself with a stopwatch or a whistle around your neck, helping out the strength and conditioning coaches. Eventually, they gave me a key to the weight room when I, uh, in between trying to make it on teams or whatnot, you know, I told them I, I would clean up the weight room at night. I would shut it down, make sure everyone was out. And I had my own key to the weight room when I was uh, working over at the hospital, pulling wire as uh, one of my part-time jobs. So I think it was, uh, it was something that um, I demonstrated. I must have demonstrated some sort of responsibility, high level of responsibility to get a key. Uh, to the weight room. 
And eventually I found myself um, with the um, Broncos and the Packers. But in between that, I had started to be a graduate assistant because the head strength coach, Dave Tobe, said, you know, if you if things don't work out, I want you to come back and work in the weight room with me. Not knowing how any of that worked, well, I got cut. Next thing you know, I'm driving back to Columbia, Missouri and meeting with the head football coach. At that point in time, we had a our defensive line coach who was the dad of the starting quarterback right before camp was out jogging, had a heart attack, passed away a few days before I was released from Denver. So there was going to be, unfortunately, there was going to be a position available. And I met with the head coach, uh, and he didn't know what he was going to do. Larry Smith didn't know what he was going to do. Either I was going to be a football coach or a strength and conditioning coach. It really didn't matter to me. I just wanted to coach. And the moves that he made, he took, he hired, he promoted Dave Tobe. I don't, I don't know if it's a promotion, but he moved him from head strength coach to defensive line coach. He promoted Donnie Summer from assistant strength coach to head strength coach. And that created a graduate assistantship for me in the weight room. So that's really how I got my start was due to an unfortunate um, circumstance with um, one of our coaches, position coaches on staff. So that's how I got started into the profession. And we can talk about more from there, but I think that's probably enough for now. Yeah, man. Um, you know, it's interesting to hear that progression and you went, you went all the way back and uh, you know, I, I had to laugh when you said you had to be a lineman because it took me back to youth football where they got the, uh, the weight restrictions to, yes. uh, to carry the ball or to be, uh, you know, in the skill position. So, you know, if you're a bigger kid, you're kind of just thrown onto the line and then it's like, you're there with all the big guys. And it's, uh, yeah, that brought me back a little bit, just thought process of how that kind of led you into the weight room there. Um, you had some great strength coaches along the way. And, you know, one thing I hear you know, all through your story is you were always, you, you probably had like a natural love for the weight room and you just liked being in there and liked how it made you feel as an athlete and gave you opportunity, but you kept going back. And even while you were still playing in the NFL, you, uh, you know, you were, you were working with athletes and you were trying to help as much as you could. And just by being present and showing a level of responsibility, you kept having opportunities, obviously un unfortunate how it worked out in, in giving you an opportunity into a full-time role. But, uh, you know, it, it also speaks to, you know, just your process of setting yourself up to have success after playing. And, um, that's something that we don't talk about a whole lot. So I think it's, uh, I think it's something that what, you know, what happens to our athletes, you know, after four years of competitive college athletics, uh, and, you know, I think it also speaks really to the value that we have as strength coaches in looking at our athletes as human beings that aren't going to be with us just from 18 to 22. And, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's really interesting to see where you're at now in an administration role and you oversee different areas uh, of the performance team, you know, what, break that down for us. You know, what are some of the uh, responsibilities you have as an administrator and what are some of the departments that fit underneath you? Thank you. So I oversee sports medicine, sports nutrition, 
sports performance, mental health, mental performance, our team of physicians, and we are in the process of creating a sports science department. We, you know, everyone does analytics and GPS and heart rate monitoring, but we are in the process of establishing a sports science department. So those are the areas I oversee now. It's it's awesome because the people that I work with are some of the best professionals I've ever been around. So it makes makes my job fun um, just to have everything, I guess, working um, in syncrasy with, with one another, just uh, having everyone willing to have the highest level of communication and collaborate with one another. It makes my job actually as fun. It, it's, um, you know, I get to just kind of help people out that, that are really good at what they do. That's awesome. You know, I want to dive in a little bit to, you know, being a high level athlete, you progress into strength and conditioning, and now you're in the, this administrative role. You know, how has your view of the strength and conditioning profession evolved over time? How do you look at it now, now that you're in an administrative position? Yeah. Take us through that, uh, that journey. Yeah, I think, um, as I look back, the strength and conditioning profession is guided by or directed by a lot of perception. Um, there's, there's perception of athletes and what they think a strength and conditioning coach should be. Their perceptions of recruits, their perception of the media, perception of coaches, perceptions of administrators, fans, um, there's almost this WWE sort of aura attached to being a strength and conditioning coach. And if you're a good strength and conditioning coach, you know how to manage that. You know how to manage those, those perceptions and expectations and what's reality. Um, and it, and it can be really fun, um, to, to, to be, you know, the person that, is a superhero to a lot of athletes. Like our strength coaches were our superheroes. So we would make up stories about things that they could do that were superhuman. But in reality, what we were trying to do is, is really, um, that was for our own self-esteem and our own ego, that if my strength and conditioning coach is better than your strength and conditioning coach, then we're better because we're trained better because we're being trained by a better human being <laughs> like, like that, that. So there's a lot of things that you have to manage. And, and, and I get it. Uh, the media wants to portray the strength and conditioning coach maybe as the wild, crazy guy that can become, come unhinged. And he's the one that's the, the only person that's uh, that, that can handle being a get back coach on the sideline or the person that is the yeller or the screamer, but also the motivator. And then there's the, the, the mother or the father or the, the, um, the big sister, the big brother that we may have to be. Um, then there's the perception that maybe we don't know how to communicate uh, in, in certain areas or certain ways. And so there's a lot of uh, areas that we have to navigate as strength and conditioning coaches to be successful? How do you go into a budget meeting and, and, and convey to the business office that you need certain type of equipment or certain pieces of equipment to do your job better? 
when they're looking at, well, you currently have a room, you currently have a staff, and you currently have equipment. Why is this equipment going to be better than what you have? Is what you have now, is it broken? Like there's just a disconnect between um, some sometimes what the business office knows and understands and what what we as strength and conditioning coaches are, how we're used to communicating. Like, I just told you I needed something. Why do I have to explain it? Like, I, I need to get back to coaching. I don't need to be here talking to you, explaining why I need reverse hypers to train the low back and posterior chain. Like, and, and so it's it's interesting because the role that I'm in now, I find myself kind of filling that gap, filling that that void um, to be able to uh, be an advocate for our sports medicine, nutrition staff, our strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, and it's, it's something that I'm having to learn as well. Like, how do I communicate with uh, marketing and, and um, all of the different areas that work in the athletics department? There are a lot of athletics departments. There are hundreds of employees, hundreds. And you only really know about the head coaches and maybe a couple of the strength coaches. But reality, this is a business that has to operate. And a lot of schools, Power Five are, you know, $100 million plus um, businesses. So I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it's it's a lot for a strength and conditioning coach to, to be able to navigate and be a good coach at the same time. That's a great perspective to, that strength and conditioning is in a lot of ways guided by perception and that we battle those perceptions externally on the outside, you know, in the, in the media in what people on the, on the outside think of us, but also internally, you mentioned budget meetings and even the perceptions of our, uh, our head coaches, assistant coaches, just people that maybe don't have the, the same experience in the, on the training side of things that we have. And uh, everybody's a little bit in a different place of what they view the role of strength and conditioning is. I want to ask you, you, you mentioned the get back coach and you see this pop up on the social media every now and again, does, does that sort of role, does that sort of perception, you know, the yelling, screaming, get back coach, you know, uh, does that hurt us? Does that hurt this profession? I'm not asking you to solve it, but I want you to just look at it from a, from a perception standpoint, you know, what does that do to our profession and uh, what are some really constructive ways maybe coaches can uh, assert themselves to be a little bit more respected? You know, that, that's a, that's a good one. And um, you can go many different ways on this (laughs) subject. That's a, that's a loaded question, Eric. Um, Why are student athletes expected to always be under emotional control, uh, being emotionally stable, being under control physically, mentally during competition? Why why is that is what is expected? Um, You're not athletes. Don't talk to the officials. Uh, Make sure you stay behind the line. Make sure that if someone, we teach them, if someone hits you out on the field, don't respond because it's always the second person who gets the, the penalty. Um, you know, if, if someone's talking trash, walk away. That's what we expect of the athletes. But with coaches, there's 
some don't have the ability to control themselves because they're so into the game. It's like, well, no one's more into the game than athletes. Um, so why do we need to actually pull someone back two or three feet? That's all we're talking about, two or three feet. So that we don't get a penalty because this person is so into the game, they don't know where they are on the field. And, um, but, but I think there's perceptions with that too. You know, we're so enthusiastic. We're so intense that uh, well, I need someone to keep me back because I'm such a, a high intense guy. And, and that's, that's part of the perception and the mystique with some programs and some people too. So we got to understand that's still some, some theatrics there uh, is th that that's on display. So I'm not knocking that. I am, I'm not knocking it because for some people that feeds into the whole process of what that team's identity is. And um, that, you know, so I, I, I'm not going to knock it. But what I would like to say is that those strength and conditioning coaches are more than get back coaches. They're, they're, they're more than just people that that's there to hold someone back. Um, they have an entire, entirely different skill set and job the other six days of the week. Um, that requires a high level of expertise, experience, certification, maybe license, education. A lot of these people that are holding these people back that are the get back coach have master's degrees, exercise science degrees, exercise physiology degrees, like really smart people, hardworking people. And, and a lot of them, they practice what they preach. Um, they, they're disciplined. They, they eat right. They do the right nutrition. So the, the, their, their husbands and uh, wives and fathers and their uh, mothers, like uh, these, these strength and conditioning coaches on the sideline, they're, they're highly qualified. Some of the most highly qualified in the athletics department, they have to continue education, but that, that doesn't necessarily um, get the media attention. Um, so I, I, I hear you, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, I put you on the spot there a little bit. No, that's good. I, I love that approach. You know, it speaks to being versatile as a strength coach, understanding the team environment that you're in and, uh, and serving the need of, of your head coach, of your program, of your athletes. If they need you to dial it up a little bit and uh, maybe play into those perceptions, that can be okay. But mm -hmm. there should be that, that respect of, you know, and this is something we battle that, we have to be advocates for our profession. We have to be advocates for our field, for our, for our skill set. And there is always that perception that in a, among the strength coaches that we are some of the most highly educated people in the building. And maybe we're not getting the, the credit we deserve. And so I, I know for me, it's always, always remembering it's about the athletes and that that's the reason we got into this. But, you know, it's... Uh, well, let me tell you a story about perception and how strong it is. So when I was first hired into this position in this role, I was walking down the hallway and another um, member of the executive team told me, uh, I can't wait for you to just lose it one day. And like the, 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 the old strength coach comes out. It's like, 
<laughs> right. Why? Like, I mean, that's not, I mean, why this, that's not acceptable. Like I'm sitting in meetings and taking notes and writing emails and returning phone calls and text messages and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and standing in front of groups. Like when is it ever acceptable to just start yelling and screaming at someone, a group of people like that's not professional. So, but they thought it was like, you know, I know, I know deep down inside the strength coach wants to come out like, <laughs> oh man. I was like, I was it's, like, it's funny, man. It's like, if we were and and there's a reason we don't, we always say, Hey, if you know, we were working in a cubicle or if we were, we were working in a bank or in a business environment, well, there's a lot of reasons maybe we haven't pursued some of those careers and this is what we're doing. But at the same time, if we were in any other work environment, those things would be way off the table. I mean, you wouldn't even think about that. And it is really interesting, the perceptive elements of this, just that that's, it's accepted. It's okay. You know, in this coaching world that we're in, but it plays into the, some of the negative stereotypes that, that are put on coaches. So there's some, there's a, 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 the opposite as well. So there have been jobs when I have contemplated whether I leave the PhD off of my education or um, just make it not as prominent on the application, on the um, my resume or, or my CV or whatever, or do I send my CV or not? Um, with this position, I sent everything. I sent my CV, um, curriculum vita, and my, and my resume and just thought, you know, if, if you're not looking for someone with a terminal, terminal degree, a doctorate in this role, then I, I'll just continue to do what I'm doing. Um, but, but there, I know some perceptions and I had a coach before tell me, I know you got your PhD, but I'll call you doctor one time. But after that, I'm not doing it. Like, really, like, you know, I, 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 I went back to school to help everyone, not just myself. So the, the, the PhD doctorate is not for me. Like I actually sat in a class to learn about sports psychology so that I can help our athletes, our coaches. And, um, but there was a, a fear that maybe my ego would, would, would somehow take over and, or maybe I'm distracted because I went back and learned more and, and got a, <laughs> Like there, there's still um, a perception out there that um, people don't want a very, some people don't want what they might perceive to be as a smart strength coach. And, and um, I would love to, that's my goal and my quest is to kind of undo that, to make it okay for the strength and conditioning coach to have a podcast because you've got an extra half an hour on um, at night or on the weekend, or if you want to write a book, that is okay. Um, it doesn't take away from your ability to be a coach um, and, and uh, to write a blog uh, to help to, to be able to pass some information on. It doesn't take away. It only adds to your ability to um, contribute and, and, and make a difference. So, there's, there's still some perceptions out there that 
we're supposed to be the meatheads and, and, and the um, people that, that live in the weight room. And, and um, I know of another strength and conditioning coach that was told by his head coach to stop making certain social media posts because he was getting, the head coach was getting quote unquote killed by donors and fans because of the perception that if the strength coach can send a 30 second blog of uh, a 30 second video of inspiration and encouragement to his players, that somehow that coach is not, is that's, that 30 seconds is taking away from the team being trained. Like that, that's, those are some of the battles that we're, that we're dealing with right now. Um, those perceptions of, 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 of what we're supposed to be. Wow, man. Yeah. I love it. You know, be more than a strength coach. We are more than just strength coaches. When you look at the skill set that in the education that we have, uh, I want to ask you, and, and, you know, I think back, uh, and maybe just something I've always honed in on, you know, being from the baseball world, thinking of um, coaches out there like Bob Alejo, who have moved into administrative type roles. Speak to the value of a strength coach advancing in their career, becoming uh, a director and advancing into an athletic director type position. What does our strength and conditioning background and knowledge of athletes and, and it help with in that administrative role and uh, give us a little bit of a, you know, hopeful projection of maybe where that could take us as a field. So there's a perception we have as strength and conditioning coaches of what it's like to be in this role. And I've had conversations with people that ask me, what is it like to be in this role? And the first thing I would say is get rid of those perceptions because um, just like no day was ever the same being a coach and you might have an idea of what you wanted to do, but you got to be ready to adapt and adjust. The same thing goes for being in this role. So you might have an idea of what you want to get accomplished and you got to work towards that, but you got to be ready to adapt and adjust every day. So you may think that, well, I want to be more of a high performance type of director. Well, then COVID happens and you're going to spend 90, 95% of your time dealing with COVID and medical issues when you really want to be the uh, maybe more of the sports scientist or the person that's measuring uh, peak velocities or that's not going to happen. You have to take what's right in front of you and deal with that situation as a leader in this position. Now, so first and foremost, you got to be a leader in this position, someone that um, is willing to learn how to communicate and improve the communication, written, verbal, body language. You have to be um, willing to learn in this position. Uh, that's the one thing I know every day is I don't know everything. Don't claim to know everything. I've got to learn every day. I've got to rely on the people around me. I've got to ask questions to people that I supervise so that I understand better what they do and what they need from me. So you, you have to have your ego in check. You can't um, be the, well, I, I'm, I was a strength and conditioning coach, so I know how to do strength and conditioning. No, when I go into a weight room, I'm looking to learn. I'm not going in to criticize. So whether it's Mike, Jason, or Andy, our, our um, directors of strength and conditioning here, or their staff members, they know when I'm around that I'm not being judgmental. Um, I'm, I'm actually there to contribute if I can, or learn something if I can, um, just to make their experience um, better 
here at, at this university. So I, I think you have to also continue to learn and grow while you're in that position as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, just as much as you read an article or a blog or watch a video on your on your craft, you also have to learn about the budget process or media relations, sports media, um, advertising, um, development. You have to continue to, uh, you know, ask to sit in a meeting, um, visit with your sport administrator uh, and, and learn what it is to do their job. Uh, visit with the senior women's administrator, uh, the diversity person, get to know those people and what it is that they do and what it takes to do their jobs. Because all of that, inform all of that, all of those experiences are going to matter. I, I think when I stepped over on campus, I took a, a year and a half, almost two year um, break away from athletics and I went to work on campus in the chancellor's office. That experience, as much as I didn't like wearing a suit and tie every day, that experience prepared me more, I believe, to be an administrator, a high level top administrator than my strength and conditioning um, job my strength and conditioning role. Now, I was also an assistant and an associate athletics director, and I was involved in those meetings. That experience helped me tremendously um, in my career. But just working with athletes, you also, I find myself now I'm working with people, very experienced people. I work with, I oversee people with PhDs and medical degrees and medical doctors and all types of licenses and certified everything. I oversee the highest level of qualified um, individuals in terms of licensure and certification in that than in the entire athletics department. I mean, all of the people that I work with um, have to operate off a certain code of ethics or they lose their license. Uh, so it's it, they have to continue their education in order to continue to um, be employed and, 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 and to remain, um, you know, employable. So th that's something that you have to understand as a strength and conditioning coach or whatever profession you're coming from. Um, you have to continue to grow where you're at. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Everybody has a unique role, uh, unique expertise. And as you progress in your career, you know, strength and conditioning is a young profession. There's a lot of young coaches out there that make up the the body of the strength and conditioning community but as we get more experience and even collective within our strength and conditioning community we're all going to have different areas of expertise we're going to work with different uh outside professions it is sort of a professional evolution or you know that happens within each of us is that we gain appreciation for these other areas and other disciplines, even though this isn't maybe what we wanted to do with our career. Or we didn't want to be an athletic trainer or a physical therapist or a, or a physician or whatever that may be. But there's a ton of value to all of these different professions within the performance spectrum and that strength and conditioning coaches have a unique skill set within that too. So it's really about creating that level environment where coaches can feel like they can thrive. I know that's one of the things we struggle with on the strength and conditioning side, but we want to be able to thrive to our perceptions in the same way other 
areas maybe are thriving, but you know, on the, on the other side, there's some grasses greener mentality to that too. I think we all have struggles. Like you said, everybody, you know, every day is different, even in this administrative role, it's not like you've just graduated to uh, just this perfect scenario and you don't have to worry about any of the stuff you did uh, coming up. Yeah. I was, I was having a conversation with um, Zach Evan Esch um, and we were talking about when we got into this profession, looking at the national conference, when you go like, where are the 40 and 50 year old strength coaches? And no one has ever really answered that question for me. Like, where are they? Where, where are the, 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 the 40, 50, 60 year old strength coaches that transition? What do they do? There, there are not many of these roles that I'm in, um, not many exist. And it, to me, I went into this profession like a professional athlete. It, it really feels like being a professional athlete. The emotions and the physical, the spiritual, all you have to pour yourself into every day, into every athlete in, uh, that, you, that you are working. And there's a finite amount of time that you can do this. Uh, just like being an athlete, like one day you're not going to, run up and down the court, the field, swim. One day you're not gonna be able to do that. One day uh, someone's gonna say, oh, I want a younger strength and conditioning coach because uh, someone that can relate, quote unquote, relate to the athletes. Um, and then your elbows and knees and ankles get tired, get sore. <laughs> the cartilage starts to wear out um, when you've been pounding that weight room floor um, year after year after year. So. What do you do to transition? And I've had a lot of conversations with, with strength and conditioning coaches, sending out my job description because people want to be able to, uh, you know, move, can stay around athletics and, and, and move into a, an administrative role. So it's definitely on our minds as strength and conditioning professionals. I think we have to make sure we're the best prepared um, when those opportunities come. It's great advice. And one thing I, you know, I believe is that these conversations and thought process can get the best of us at times, but as strength coaches, you know, we are uniquely qualified in providing energy and enthusiasm to our environment, targeting specific challenges and working to make those challenges disappear by, by building a plan. And that is not exclusive to sets and reps, you know, we can take that strategic element of what we do and graduate that into an administrative role. But are you willing to go beyond the, uh, the dungeon weight room mentality? And maybe you love that, you know, I mean, we all love the weight room, you know, now that we've gone to these, uh, video podcasts, I get to see everybody's, uh, backdrop. You get a squat rack behind you with the med balls and, uh, you know, it's, and it's awesome, man. I, I got a new, um, a new squat rack in my garage, you know, product of the, the pandemic and not being able to get out to a gym. It's like, we love this profession. It's in our blood, you know, and we, we love the disciplines and skill set of being a strength coach. And there's so much value to that. You know, well, just one thing in this role, I, I love that I get to connect with so many coaches out there. And I just think there's so much value into keeping our narrative positive and just showcasing how professional and how educated we can we are and how qualified we are to fill in different roles within an athletic department and one thing you know we've talked about a decent amount is 
you guys are moving into a sort of a different, uh, some different roles with sports science. I want to ask you how the, you know, how does sports science fit within, you know, the University of Louisville athletic program? How is that going to interact with the other elements that you guys already have? I think it's just going to be another part of what we're doing. Research and science should be the basis of what we're all doing in health and performance, whether it's nutrition, research and science, sports medicine, sports performance, mental health, mental performance, the medical doctors, like research and science is the foundation of everything that we're doing. So it's, uh, so taking it, making it um, be more present, I think in the physical sense, saying, hey, we have a director of sports science and a director and a sports science staff that biomechanics and whether it's a, some sort of program coordinator, researcher, um, um, someone that's doing data analytics and then someone's doing technology. So these different entities of sports science and how do we utilize, we have the number one master's degree in exercise science and physiology in the nation. Like, how do we use that in our, our health and human performance? It's, it's on the first floor of the building of my office. So uh, the academic unit. So how do we use that and, and the graduate students and the doctoral students to um, give them a first class experience working in, in athletics? How do we enhance the experience of our athletes and coaches uh, and, and everyone in health and performance. So that's kind of my job is to, to help us figure this out. And it's going to take more than just the university. It's going to take people in the community, um, us working together. So I see this as a, uh, an entire community effort, more than just athletics, to bring sports science to the forefront of training athletes. Awesome, man. You know, you spoke to your athletic background all the way up through college, uh, being a college football player, going to the NFL, uh, now in administration. And I want to, you know, we have a lot of young coaches that listen to this podcast and they have similar aspirations, you know, as we've talked about, what are some of the resources that you've dived into over the years, books, you, you mentioned leadership. Are there any really, uh, influential leadership books that, that helped you or um, even within uh, the disciplines of strength and conditioning? What do you got, man? Yeah, there, there's a lot. Um, our athletics director, when I was um, director of strength and conditioning for a long time, um, his name is Mike Alden. He's He has so many other athletics directors that have come underneath him that are current athletics directors. He would always make sure we were reading a book. And um, five levels of leadership start with why you don't need a title to be a leader. So many books that um, it was all about leadership. And, and we would talk about these, this book in our um, senior staff meetings or our um, rising manager meetings, uh, rising leadership meetings. And for me, that was valuable because what we did is whenever we were going through a book as a senior staff in the athletics department, we would buy a book for every strength and conditioning coach in our, out of our own budget in the weight room. And we would go, we would do the same thing. So as a staff, we would go through a book, a different leadership book. Uh, 
the training books, we were expected to do that on our own. Um, you know, if you want to read super training, uh, that you, you do that on your own. Um, but it would be something that when it came to leadership and communication and teamwork, we always read those books as a staff together. And, and I think, uh, that was, that was huge. That was valuable for us because it was more than just reading it. It was about action. Like, how are we going to actually do this? How is it going to become habit forming so that when we're developing leaders, how do we become better leaders ourselves and, and hold ourselves accountable to that? So I think as a, as a staff, if you can continue to grow outside the profession and push yourself outside the profession, it, it will um, lay the groundwork for what is next. Yeah, man, that's a great leadership lesson. And, and another thing that does is it unites the entire athletic department. You know, the athletic trainer can take a leadership book and bring it to the training room. We can bring it to the weight room, bring it to senior staff meetings, bring it, bring it everywhere. And it puts people, you know, you mentioned how many people are in a high level athletic program in college athletics. And it's, that's, that's powerful. And you think of ways to bring the group together, you know, that's a really great strategy to do that. So I know there's a lot of great, uh, great programs out there doing that. We've all probably been a part of something like that, but that's something that for coaches and, and administrators listening, that's a really, uh, that's some really good advice there. Uh, hey, Pat, I want to ask you, you know, what's the best way for coaches, listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, just my website, uh, pativy.com, P-A-T-I-V-E-Y.com. I put a lot of information on there, a lot of free information, um, things that I've learned over the years. Um, I think you can go there and that's another site. You know, that's another uh, thing you can do as a staff is uh, that's where I put it out there. I'm, I'm trying to pass the baton and pay it forward. I've got books and workbooks and a mental conditioning online course that the stuff that I taught and I learned um, when I went back to school to get my doctorate, you can take stuff and print it off. And, you know, so many times we wanted to get information, but it seemed like in the strength and conditioning profession, we weren't, we were unwilling to share a lot of information thinking uh, that it would, we would give up our competitive advantage. So I'm in a position now where, I, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Or there might be the perception that you don't want to put things out there because you've got a head coach that does not want you doing it because they think um, you're giving up the program secrets. So, um, I'm putting it out there. I don't have to worry about that anymore. That's awesome, man. It's important we share. It's important we stick together as a strength and conditioning community. I know I've been uh, talking a lot about strength and conditioning, but really, you know, you've you've had some really cool experiences as an athlete into a into college strength and conditioning coach. Um, you do some work in the private sector. You have your website. And you, you work in senior administration for the athletic department at University of Louisville. So it's been really uh, great hearing your path in the field, Pat. And uh, yeah, thanks for being with us. Appreciate you, Eric. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys are doing too for the profession. So keep it up. Awesome, man. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And we'd also like to thank Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. From the NSCA, thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We serve you, the coaching community. 
So follow, subscribe, and download for future episodes. We look forward to connecting with you again soon and hope you'll join us at an upcoming NSCA event or in one of our special interest groups. For more information, go to nsca.com. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.